Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word.
wanting to be a better brother, better son. I want to be a better brother, better son. I want to be a better brother, better son. That describes the world, doesn't it? Hey, welcome to ACF. Give them another hand, would you? That was awesome. Well, hey, if you are new to ACF, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're with us. If you're online with us, streaming, we're so glad that you're part of our family as well. Uh, we're in a conversation about the polarizing issues in our society and how the church does things differently. Uh, the narrative that we've sort of been fed is that we have to hate those we disagree with. And so what we're doing over the course of this series is we're pushing up against that. We don't believe that's the case. We actually believe that as God's kingdom people, we can love those who see things differently than we do. And in fact, as we look at the life of Christ, we see that Jesus was accused of being a friend to sinners, that he actually had a relationship with them, he spent time with them, and he even enjoyed being around them, even though they were so different, right? Jesus was holy and perfect and pure, and yet he hung out with the broken and the needy and the rebellious. And so as God's people, what we said last week is that if you're like Jesus, you will begin to like people who are nothing like Jesus, And and I wonder for you if that's sort of the case and description of your life. Do you tend to spend time with people, be around people who are very different than you, different than Christ? And so in that, as we start to embrace a different way to have a conversation, I think that we're going to make a different impact on our our community, on our city, on our nation. Uh, Because in many ways, I think the, the church has lost influence because of the way that we've dealt with our differences. And so we're changing the conversation. That's our goal in this series. And uh, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, go online, listen to that that message, watch that sermon. It's going to help you because we're going to continue on a conversation this week and really over the course of this whole series. It's it's one big thought and you're going to need each part, I think, to really understand this, this concept of how to deal with people who are different than we are. And so before we get into the text too much today, a couple updates about ACF, by the way. Um, Spring is like coming, isn't it? Are you guys excited about that? Man, I am so excited. I've been dropping off the kids at the bus stop, and it's getting light out already, and I'm just excited about this summer in Alaska. But a few things you need to know uh, about this summer. First of all, Easter is coming, and we always get really excited about that, put a lot of energy into Easter in Eagle River, and uh, last year was just a great Easter. We had a goal of 7% of our city, that 7% would come out and to gather together and celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and we blew that goal out of the water. And so this year, guess what the goal is? 8%, right? So we're just going to change our city for the gospel 1% at a time, and uh, maybe here in a while we'll see our entire city gathered in the name of Jesus. And so that's always the vision. That's our hope and our prayer. But what we're going to do this year is we're going to do two gatherings at Eagle River High School. We're going to be off-site because to get everybody into this space, we'd have to do like six Easter services. And so um, we're kind of running into some challenges there, but uh, what we're going to do is just two gatherings off-site at Eagle River High School. So bring your friends and your family. It's going to be a different location. We'll set up there. Uh, We did it a few years ago, and it was just a blast. Um, So we we could fit into one service then. Now we're going to have to do two, um, but it's still going to be a great time. And then coming out of that... Depending on our schedule as a church, we may be actually out of this building for a couple of months. 
And so uh, on November 30th, we had the earthquake here in Alaska, and this building sustained about $80,000 worth of sheetrock damage. And that's a lot. Yeah, somebody, yeah, it's quite a bit. And so what's the, what the cool thing about all this, and I love how God works, is that we together have been saving up funds for a year now to work into phase two of ACF Next Step which is all about expanding this space and making room for those who are yet to come. And so the, the finances uh, are already put, being put together for us to be able to do work on this space. And so we're basically going to be remodeling and reworking areas that are all cracked up um, that we were going to remodel anyway. So isn't, isn't God good? Like he just, he gives us what we need. We've got what we need to do that. And we'll be walking into phase two this spring. And that's going to be a remodel of this room and then a expansion of this space into the lobby uh, to make some more room. And then we're going to have phase three after that. You'll hear more about that as, as we come into that. So excited about that. These are good problems to have, aren't they? These are good problems. So I love the last lyric of that song. We want to be better fathers, better sons, better brothers, better sons. And that, that is our heart is that we as the church, we want to be better um, sisters and brothers and, and family members to those who see things differently than we do. And so here's what I want you to do. Grab a Bible, open up your phone to the ACF Church app, and open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in a few different texts this morning, but this passage speaks specifically how to relate to people who see things differently than we see things. It says this in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if you don't know me, I'm a daddy. I have three kids two little girls and a little boy, and uh, parenting teaches you some things. I mean, it teaches you a lot of things, but I remember when Cadence, our first child, was born, she just came out like screaming, right? And, and as, a, as a dad, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I was really unfamiliar with babies. I didn't hold babies. I didn't babysit. I hadn't changed a diaper until I changed my first daughter's diaper. And so this was all brand new territory for me. And so she's screaming and I'm just like, she hates the world. She just came out angry at humanity, angry at the world. And she's screaming and crying. And, and then over the course of the next few months, we kind of started to figure things out a little bit. Um, any new parents in the room with some little babies? A couple of you here? Okay. So you will learn, you who have new little babies, you will learn the cries of your children, won't you? I mean, there's sort of this thing you figure out. And you, at first, you just think they're angry at the world. Then you realize, like, when you hear, Wah! it means, oh, she's hungry, right? And then, then you hear, Wah! and it's like, oh, she, she's tired. She needs a nap, right? And everybody around you is like, what's wrong with you? I don't know what this weird intuition you have as a parent. But as a parent, you figure it out, right? You learn that they're crying for some reason. There's something going on. And what I want to start off with today is simply this. As we deal with and approach people who see things differently than we do, we need to begin by understanding that they've got their reasons. And this is so key for us to understand that people have their reasons for believing and thinking what they think. And although they may not be our reasons and we might even disagree with their reasons, they are reasons. And the reason that this still creates conflict and that we still have problems with people is simply this. We often determine that people's reasons are unreasonable, right? 
Isn't that our snap judgment that, hey, if you think this, if you believe this, if you act like this, then whatever reason you have is completely unreasonable. But here's what I know. And this isn't to to approve of of things that maybe are wrong in the world or to say that, you know, whatever's right for you is right for you. Like, no, there is a truth to be told and there is a truth to be pursued. But here's what I know is that if I had gone through what you've gone through and if I had seen what you'd seen and if I'd had said to me what's been said to you, I might feel and think the same way you do. And I want you to just think about that and apply that to the people in your life, the people on the other side of the social line, the political line, the religious line from you, where you're just like, how could anybody think that? How could anybody believe that? I wonder for you, if if you had heard what they'd heard, or experienced what they'd experienced, or had said to you what was said to them, if maybe you would think and feel the same way that they do. And when we start off with that, what we start off with is a certain level playing field. And an ability to understand one another is so essential in building relationships in a polarized culture. So if you have your Bible, open up, flip over to Acts chapter 9. We'll come back to that first text in just a minute. In in Acts chapter 9, we've got the story of what is well known as the most famous conversion story in all of Scripture. Really, maybe in, in all of history. And I want you to imagine a man who spends his lifetime criticizing the church who spends his free time trying to dismantle Christianity and tear it apart at the seams. Somebody who's violent and abusive and even tries to kill the people that they disagree with. And in in the scriptures, this man's name is is Saul. Later on, we see him uh, in the book of Acts uh, named Paul. And in different scriptures, we see him named Paul. But his name is Saul in this text today. And this man has such anger towards Christianity. I mean, it's just visceral, his anger towards the church. And it even says in the book of Acts that he, he breathes murder. I mean, literally murder of Christians was the air that he breathed when he wake, wakes up in the morning, right? Like he'd step out on his deck and just, I want to kill some Christians. That's what he would feel. That's what was going through his mind. And this is this man, and, and his anger and his rage is so great that as he begins to persecute Christians in the region of, of Jerusalem, that he, he's like, I need to actually go beyond these walls. I need to go 150 miles north to Damascus. And he got permission to drag these people out of their homes and to persecute them. And he was even killing these people that he disagreed with. And so here's the story of this man as he heads to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is a wild story, isn't it? I mean, this man would be the the, the guy or girl in the room that would be voted like least likely to become a Christian. I mean, certainly least likely to be baptized and definitely least likely to be used by God for the the, the pursuit of the church and, and the growth of the church. 
And yet what we know about this man is that really is his story. And he's going to kill Christians. He's on this road. And then all of a sudden, he is struck blind, which, let's admit, would get any of our attention. He's struck blind on this road. And then this voice cries out to him, Saul, Saul. And I love that this voice calls him by name. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is a really important thing to consider as we talk about how to deal with a polarized society. The first thing that that Jesus does in interacting with this man who is definitely on the other side of the line from him, who sees things very differently than than he does, who's operating out out of a sinful bent, right? The first thing that he does is he asks him one important question. Why? Why? And, and I don't think this is just sort of a throwaway question. I think this is a real question that, that Jesus is wanting Saul to inspect his heart and to, to figure out, like, what is it about my people? What is it about the, the people of the way that would cause you to have such anger and hatred towards them that you would want to kill them? What is it? What's going on in your heart? Where does this come from, Saul? And now, when we read this text, we don't get his answer, uh, which is bothersome, right? Like, we want to know, okay, Okay, give us an excuse. What is it in your heart that would make you into this kind of human being? But I would, I would think if, if Saul were to answer, that it'd be something like this. Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. I mean, do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? Because according to our law, anybody who is hung on a cross is cursed. I mean, would God take this cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? Absolutely not. Do you know that his followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and still doing miracles around us? But their power comes from Satan, not God. Christians are a dangerous cult, and I intend to eliminate them before they destroy our Jewish faith. I mean, I would imagine that would be how Saul would respond to this question of why, because here's what we know about this man. He thought he was doing what was right. And isn't that the case throughout history? Just crack open a history book that so much evil has been done throughout history because people thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing what was righteous and good in their own eyes. In fact, this early philosopher in Jerusalem said it this way. He said, The way of sinners is made plain with stones, but at the end thereof is the pit of hell. And this little phrase throughout history has taken on a lot of different forms, and it's changed into something that you might be familiar with. It goes something like this. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? And I think we've seen this in other people's lives. We've seen this throughout history. We as the church, we are not free of guilt for this, right? As we look throughout history, we see things that the church has even done in the name of God that look nothing like Jesus. In fact, very anti-Jesus things and anti-kingdom things that the church has done throughout history. And so we even have blood on our hands in the sense of doing things that are wrong with all of what we feel like are the best of intentions, And so as you think about this man, Saul, and you're like, what would cause him to do this? What you see and what we know about this man as you read through the rest of his epistles is that he is a very religious man. Like some of you are like, I don't know, I'm a a Christian, I go to church on Sunday, but it's like, that's not a big deal. For, For Saul, this is who he was. 
Like his religion was his identity. He was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law, and to the best of his ability, he lived a righteous life. And yet this type of identity led him to murder. I mean, there's something twisted about that, right? There's something twisted about it when you feel like you are God's man or God's woman, and you're doing what you feel like is right, and it leads you to murder. There's something wrong with your theology. There's something going wrong in Saul's life. You see, for him, his religion was his identity. His religion was his God. He thought he was worshiping God, but he was actually worshiping his actions and deeds. That's what was, was obsessing his life. And so when it was threatened by these Christians, when these Christians were threatening his religion and his way of life, he became angry, like visceral, to the point of murder. I mean, and we have something to learn here, right? You can figure out what your God is based on how you respond when it's threatened. So you're like, well, I, I follow Jesus. He's my God. Well, you know, when your faith is threatened in, in one way, is, is, is that the part of your life that brings up the most turmoil and tension? Or is it something else? For this man, it was his religious duty. It was his identity as a religious man that was being threatened by these Christians and he wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so he's going to Damascus and and Jesus strikes him blind on the road. The man can't see, which again would have gotten his attention. He's trying to figure out what's going on. The voice cries out to him. And, And it's interesting, like with all things, God is very intentional about what he does. He strikes Saul blind And what you read in the rest of his writings, and and even as Jesus speaks, that this idea of blindness is a metaphor for our spiritual blindness. That physical blindness is a metaphor for us being unable to see the light of Christ. Because we all, if you're a Christian, you have been there at some point where you just couldn't get it. You couldn't see it. Maybe you heard Christians talk about their faith, and you're like, I don't know. I don't understand it. Or maybe you're here today, and you come to church, and you're like, what are they doing? And why do they think this stuff? Why do they believe this stuff? And then you're, you're, you're touched by God, affected by God at some point, And then you end up with a story. And you're like, oh, no, I get it now. It makes sense now. It all is clear. I was blind, but now I see, right? And so this man Saul is struck blind on the road. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, interacted with somebody who's actually physically blind. Or if you have a family member who's lost their sight. But I was actually on this website this week. It's the uh, website for the American Foundation for the Blind. And this part of their website is dedicated to how to, how to interact with people who are blind. Because apparently we need a website dedicated to how to do that. Because we don't naturally know what to do. We get uncomfortable. You know, somebody can't see. We're not sure how to respond to them. And so it, it gave a list of ways to relate to people who are blind. And it's stuff that you might expect. Like the first thing was when you come into a room, you need to identify yourself. You need to say, like, okay, hi, I'm Brian, I'm coming in, like, you, you, just so you know they, that I'm here. So you need to identify yourself when you come a room, in a room. Another thing that you're to do is, is wait for them to extend a handshake, because that'd be awkward if you're just like, <laughs> they can't see your hand, right? So wait for them to extend a handshake, and then, then you can respond and shake their hand. But there was one that was really interesting that stuck out to me, one suggestion for people when they relate to the blind, and it was this. Speak with a normal tone of voice, don't shout. And I read that and I was like, does that really need to be said? And apparently it does. Like apparently we need to know that there's, there, there is a tendency when you walk into the room when someone is blind to raise your voice, 
to try to be clear. And they're like, dude, I'm blind, not deaf, right? I can hear, I just can't see. But we just have this weird tendency. It's kind of like Americans do this when we travel abroad. We go to another country. People don't speak English. We just start yelling at them. I want a cheeseburger. And they're like, bro, I don't speak English. I don't know what to do. You can scream all you want, but I don't understand what you're saying. But it was just so interesting that we needed to be told, hey, speak in a normal tone of voice. Don't shout at someone who's blind. They can't see, but they're not deaf. And I wonder for us in this polarized society, if we could take these words to heart. And here's the reality, if you want to write this down today. Your loudest voice won't help blind people see any better. You can fill their Facebook feed with, you know, posts about things that you believe, and you can scream at them and yell at them. You can curse at them. You can demean them. You can attack their character. You can do all of that. But none of that will help someone who's blind to be able to see. And in fact, in those type of situations, as you respond in that way, you might be contributing to their blindness more than you're helping it. And I think we get this to to some degree with the metaphor. Like imagine that somebody's blind and they're in a hospital and they're maybe in the cafeteria trying to eat and they're making a mess because they can't see very well. And so there's just food all over the place. And then imagine like a nurse standing over top of them being like, what are you doing? Why are you making a mess? Stop it. Like screaming at this person. I think you and I, if we saw something like that, we'd go like put the nurse in a headlock, right? I mean, like you can't do that. They can't see. What are you doing? That's terrible. Why would you ever speak to that person that way? And yet this is what we do to people who can't see in our culture. We think whoever is loudest can win, and in the end, it just pushes people away, and we have to change the conversation as a church. Like, we need to deal with people differently than what we see around us. I just, I think I can say for all of us, what's happening is not working. There's got to be another way to relate, relate to people. And I know some of you, like, even in this conversation, you're getting uncomfortable because, you know, maybe you're a Christian, you know your Bible, you know your theology, and so you're like, but Brian, like, I know the truth. Okay, maybe, maybe you do know the truth. Maybe you do know what's right. And next week, we're going to talk about how to fight and when to fight and what fighting actually looks like for those who are of God. But today, the point is simply this. Getting louder doesn't fix it. It doesn't help them to hear any better. Verse 17. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. Side note, this is not the other Ananias, the the guy that died. That's a different story. He's dead. This is a different Ananias. You can read that one later. It says, He entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Paul... Our brother Saul, I love that he calls him his brother. Think about that. Think about this, this man is sent as a missionary to a, a murderer of Christians. And he walks in his house and he calls him his brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever said something, maybe like that God was calling you to say, and in the back of your mind you're like, I don't believe this at all just struggle and just kind of like dealt with the doubt in your mind. Imagine Ananias, who sent as a missionary to go speak the word of God to this man named Saul. And, and earlier, you can read their interaction between him and God. Basically, God calls him to go to Saul, and Ananias is like, I'm sorry, God, who? Uh, maybe, you, maybe you missed what's going on all around us, because this man is the last guy in the room that's going to get saved. He's the last guy in the room that's even potentially going to get baptized, and he's definitely not going to be used by you for anything. And God says, no, actually, he's my, 
He's my voice to the Gentiles. I'm going to send him, and I'm going to use him. And I've actually created him for good things. (laughs) He says, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose, and the first thing he did was he was baptized. And then taking food, he was strengthened. What we see is that this man's life was never the same. He was never the same. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a overwhelming story of transfer, tra- transformation. And, and for us in the room, I think that we, we can put our, ourselves in, in both parties' places here. We can, we can see that, that God is calling us like Ananias. He's calling us to speak the gospel to people that we would think would be the farthest from God. And the message is so clear in this text, and I mean, don't miss this, that those that you think are farthest from the gospel today might be leading the church tomorrow. I mean, just let that soak in for a moment. The man or woman that you're like, everybody but them, could be preaching at your church tomorrow. And I just consider the power in this moment. And then we look at Saul and the transformation in his heart, and we go, man, we are all Saul. He's on his way to arrest Christians and gets arrested by God. I mean, and what's amazing and mind-blowing about this moment of transformation for for Saul is that it's so different than what we see in the modern church and maybe what we expect in terms of like a salvation moment. Like imagine, like, there's no background music going on. There's nobody on the keyboard. There's no, like, fog, cool lights, right? Nobody's preaching a message. There's no, like, every head bowed, every eye closed. I see that hand. Uh, there's none of that. There's no, like, fill out the communication card at the end of church and put it in the basket, and we're going to give you a phone call on Monday, and, you know, you might like Jesus today. You might not like him on Monday. It's up to you, but we're going to call you back. Any- like, it's so different. He's just on his way to kill Christian, and God changes his heart. And for us, we have to, we have to hear that and, and read that story and go, man, oh, anything that we have that's good in our lives is such a gift. Right down to our salvation. That no matter what you did, I mean, maybe you did pray a prayer. I, I prayed a prayer in a church when I was seven years old. Or maybe you did raise your hand at one point. Or maybe there was background music. You know, whatever it was, know this, that even your ability to respond to that was a gift from God. I mean, it was given to you by the grace of God, your ability to respond to the message of the gospel. It's just a gift. So here's what we realize is that you can't arrest spiritually blind people into seeing the light, but God can. God can just arrest that person and and transform that person. In Philippians 3.12, 30 years later, this same man writes this, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I love that. He's 30, he's 30 years into his faith and he's like, I'm just a baby. I'm just learning, right? I have so far to go. Then he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that. I love that. Essentially, he's saying, I'm learning to believe what God told me that day on that road about myself and about my life and about him. Like, I'm still on a journey to believe that I am who God says I am. He's like, I'm on a journey to take hold. This word, take hold, these words, take hold, it's, it's, it's like this almost a violent term. 
It's almost like to be assaulted. He's like, man, I'm, I'm grabbing hold of, with all of my might, the things that Jesus has said to me, the same way that he grabbed a hold of me on that road that one day. I was just assaulted by the gospel, changed by God. And what that helps us to see is what our role is in terms of changing the world, right? Because we know how the story goes. We know that, that in the future, the darkness will get darker, but the light will get lighter. And, and for you, as the darkness gets darker and as sin starts to continue to, to, to flow through the land, we also, as God's people, the bright light of Christ will become so much brighter. There's so much more to do. But at the same time, none of us can change a human heart. None of us are here to, to change people. We can't change people. You know this. You can change someone's political stance on something and not change their heart, right? I mean, you can get them to believe what you believe. You can scream at them. You can even just get them to say, I agree with you, just to shut you up and have never changed their heart, right? Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 5, 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's not our job to expect for those outside the church to believe the things that we believe, but we can love them. And we can, we can do a lot of things. There's so much that we can do. Again, I'm trying not to preach next week's message. There's so much we can do. But we are to love them first. You see, I believe we need to make a shift from condemnation to compassion. In fact, we know this. John 3.17, right? Everybody knows John 3.16. John 3.17 says that Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so we think, man, we're gaining traction by condemning the world. Even Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And, and I don't think we can make this shift from condemnation to compassion until we begin to see that blindness is a burden. Blindness is a burden. Just as much as we're like, man, I would never scream at somebody who's blind for not being able to see. We need to see the spiritual blindness in our friends, in our family members, as a burden that they carry. Like, we, do you know that sin hurts you? Do you know that believing the wrong thing hurts you? And anything that's still twisted in our hearts, there's, I'm sure there's things in my life that I believe that are still wrong, things that are still wrong in my heart, those are hurting me. And the journey that I'm going on is a journey of repentance, which is, which is just to change my mind. That's what the word repentance means. To believe what God says is most true about me and you. And that's the journey that we're on, and yet we see others who are not even on that journey. I mean, they're believing whatever they want to believe in the moment based on their own wisdom, based on what they're fed. And we would say, man, that blindness is a burden. And if what somebody believes is blindness, then we're to have compassion on them. And here's a few ways to do this. Back to Romans chapter 12. Getting you good at flipping through your Bible today. Back to Romans chapter 12. He says this. First, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The first thing he says is live in harmony. Like, like we're to pursue peace with people. To pursue harmony with one another and, and not to be haughty or proud, but to associate with the lowly. Who are the lowly? The broken, the needy, the lost, the sinners, right? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the lowly, right? And so we associate with those people because we are those people. You know, we've, we've come from this place of brokenness. We've, we've been just simply arrested on a road by Christ, handed the free gift of salvation. And so who are we to be like, man, I don't want to sit with you. I don't want to be with you, the broken, the needy, the lowly. No, Jesus, it's, it seems like Jesus runs into relationships with people that the modern church runs away from. And so we're to take that to heart. 
Paul says, no, associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. I have to think that he's thinking, because I've been there, right? Because as you read through his epistles, what you see is, is Paul is like, man, I was so proud. I was so arrogant. I thought I had it all together, and it led to murder, which is where pride leads you, to death. He says, don't be wise in your own sight. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. That's a different narrative than, we, than we're fed, right? No, just if they're screaming at you, scream back at them. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is simply this, how can I honor them? Now, that's not a question that a lot of people are asking. Like, I want you to think of somebody who sees a polarizing topic in this culture differently than you do. Somebody who sees race relations differently than you do. Somebody who sees the abortion issue differently than you do. I mean, whatever it may be that that you're like, this is my topic, this is something that I have strong feelings about, I want you to think of someone who sees those things differently than you do and think to yourself, how can I honor them? Now that, that's hard, isn't it? That feels harsh. Like, in my pride and in my arrogance, I'm like, I don't want to honor them. And the reason is because they don't deserve it, right? They don't deserve honor, but neither did we. Neither did we. And if blindness is a burden, we're to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? He boils all the law down to one thing, love, right? Love of God, love of your neighbor. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself right? The best way to find out if you think you're something when you're nothing is, is based on who you'll associate with, right? If you're just unwilling to associate with these, whoever those people are, then you're probably thinking you're something when you're, when you're nothing, is what he's saying. Again, all that we have is a gift from God. And I want to beat us down here. I want us to fully embrace that Christ has called us good and holy and righteous, but it's all a gift. It's not by our own doing. It's not by anything that we have done to earn. Verse 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the next question I want you to ask is this, can I go farther? Can you go farther? He says, first of all, if possible, this is really great. I love, this isn't pie in the sky. Everybody's just going to be rainbows and unicorns after church. You're all going to hug each other and love each. It's just not real life, right? He says, peace isn't going to be possible with everyone. You can, you can love people, listen to people, ask them why, try to understand, and they can still hate you. We know that. But he says, if possible, because a lot's possible, all things are possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Now, I love this. He says, when he uses the word far, that means there's, there's like a distance involved. There's like a, a distance that you're to go to, to live peaceably with other people. So I just want you to envision for a moment, who is it that there is no peace with between you and that person? Or maybe you, you can just say the other, those people who think this way or act this way or see the world this way. For some of you, it's sort of like this. There's, there's me, and then there's like peace, and then there's you, right? And it's, it's pretty close. I mean, it's, we're, we're not that far off, and these are the people that are easiest to, to kind of approach, this is the person at work that, man, they've got a little bit of a different perspective, but you know that you've already got some relationship there, and you can just open up a conversation. You can apologize for what you need to. You can create peace. But then there's other people where it's like, me, 
peace, and then you're like, you're like, you know, out, out of the building over here somewhere, right? Like, we are a long ways away from peace. And so here's our natural inclination. If I'm here and you're there, then what I'm to do is to walk to the middle, right? I mean, this is the side that I am responsible for. I'm to come to the middle. I come halfway, you come halfway. I take care of my side of the road, you take care of your side of the road. And yet at the same time, what we read so clearly in the life of Christ and what we see in the gospel is that the gospel goes all the way. Gospel goes all the way. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I'm going to bear most of your sin, but you've got to bear a little bit of it. Like, I'm going I'm to have scars on my back, but turn around, I need to put some scars on your back too. Like, listen, this is partly your problem, partly my problem, and so you need to bear your sin, I'll bear a, a little bit of your sin, and, and then we can, we can meet in the middle. No, the gospel is never about meeting in the middle. Jesus took on the form of humanity and died for the sins of the world. And so for us to reflect that in our relationships with others is for us to be like, hey, if at all possible with that type of person or with that individual, so far as it depends on me, I'm going to live peaceably with all people, all of them. How many of them? All of them, them, right? Except for that one. Come on, I know, like, everybody's like, except for them. Except for, nope, all. Except for them, nope. Just just read that verse. Maybe you need to write that on your mirror tonight. All, live peaceably with, with all, right? And the last thing that I think that we're forced to ask and to figure out is simply this, is to determine what's on you. What is on you? Like, what can you do? Because some of you here are like, well, I'm powerless to do anything here, right? Brian, really, can I make any change in this world? And and do I need to, right? I mean, there's the Christians who are just sort of holding on for heaven. I mean, I just, I'm trying to hold hold on as as hard as I can to protect my little family, isolate myself, and, and wait for eternity with Jesus, right? Like, there's sort of that perspective. But then there's others who are like, no, I can actually bring the kingdom the way that Christ did. In little ways, I can show people the redemption of Christ all day long. So what depends on you? How about this? Your tone of voice depends on you. Let's start there. Your volume depends on you. We talked about that earlier. Um, your, humi- your humility depends on you. Your willingness to apologize depends on you. Your ability to, co- to find common ground somewhere depends on you. Even your ability to try is on you. So you can leave church today and not do anything with this. Be like, Brian, it's just going to always be a mess. And so what's the point? The point is, God has put a Saul in your life. And I'm so glad Ananias was willing to go. That's the point. And the reason we're so glad and the reason that we would go is because someone went to us. Someone came to us. We believe this, that that when we were unreasonable, Jesus had a reason to die for us. I mean, God had to look at us and be like, dude, you are so screwed up. I mean, your perspective is twisted. You're full of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. I think I want to die for you. And that's that's the thought process of God. And we go, man, I, I could never do that. But I think a big reason we don't do that is because we don't see their blindness as a burden. We're too busy condemning to have compassion. Or we're maybe so afraid that love means we're giving them a license to do whatever it is that they want to do. I just want you to know, don't believe the lies. The messiness in the middle is right where we need to hang out. 
And it's where all the discomfort is, but it's also where the most growth happens. When you and I were unreasonable, Jesus, in the love that was filling his heart, had a reason to die for us. And I love that for this man Saul, when his life is transformed, he takes a step, right? And his first step, it's like he doesn't have to think about it, is to get baptized. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing baptism here at ACF. And I just, I want to push you a little bit. If you're a Christian, if you'd say you're a Christian, or maybe today you're making that decision to follow Jesus, and you've never been baptized, you just, you need to get baptized. I don't know how to be any more clear about that. It's just the first step of obedience. And I know for some of you, you're like, I'm just waiting for the right day. I'm right, waiting for the right, right weather. I want to maybe do it outside so the Instagram photos are really cool and they, it'll look good on Facebook or whatever. Like, I'm waiting for the right time. But here's what I, here I want you to know is that the basic message of baptism is that you were never ready for the gospel. You were simply assaulted by it by God. And so if you're waiting to be ready for baptism, maybe you shouldn't even get baptized. But if you have had Jesus touch your heart and transform your life, and you're like, I was never ready, and I never will be ready, but I can receive from God, and I want the world to know that I've been changed, then that's what baptism is all about. So you can sign up for that in the lobby. I would love to see you take that step of obedience to Jesus and just go public with your faith. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we close. God, we're so grateful for your grace on us. I just feel the sense in this series that we, we as a church need to assume a posture of humility and repentance. Father, would you forgive us for judging for assuming your role in being the judge of humanity, God, and becoming little judges, especially of those outside the church, those who don't even claim to believe or, or to love you, God. Um, it breaks our hearts when we see people hurting themselves. It breaks our heart when we see people hurting others. God, it really breaks our hearts that to some degree we're all part of the problem. And so, God, we confess that to you today and ask that you would give us wisdom and grace. Father, that we could go farther for those that you went all the way to the grave for. God, that we might be willing to give up our pride and our insecurity. God, that we might know our role as simply a mouthpiece for you to the world. That we can't change a heart, but we can speak up. And boy, can we love. And so God, I pray that you'd place within us a desire that may not even be there. I pray for the man or woman here today who's like, I just don't want to. God, that you would give them a desire to love. First from a deep knowing of how much you love them right now. Thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.